it just seems to me that there would be something drastically wrong with a person that would enjoy being here tonight and to be among God's people and to be willing to take time out to worship uh, with the people of God as well as to study the Bible together. We've been, this week, we've been talking about Jesus and we'll continue that tonight. We'll mention also, I uh, usually don't have a lot of preliminary things to say, but I have to say this, it's good to see uh, Jeff and uh, Willie here. Uh, I tried to think a moment ago how long I've known them, and Jeff, it's a long, I can't remember. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's a delight to see you all out here tonight and to appreciate it. We have known them for a long time. Tonight, we want to continue our study of the man, Jesus. In the first three lessons, we talked about Jesus as the Lamb of God. Then we uh, talked about Jesus as the Lion of Judah. And then we've talked about Jesus as our lawgiver. And then last night, we talked about him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Tonight, we're going to kindly follow that up and be kindly tied to it. We may be some overlapping. But we're going to talk about uh, Jesus as the head of the body, uh, the church, and with particular reference to the body and also reference a great uh, deal of what I have to say will be something about the local church tonight as he's the head over the local church as well as over the universal church as well. But in Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 18, he says, For he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then all things he might have preeminence. He's the head of the body, and among other things, that he may have preeminence in all things, having first place in all. He's the head. He's at the top. He is the one that we look to for instruction, for guidance, and for our salvation. In Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23, he said, Put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. If you are familiar with the New Testament, you know that the church is uh, spoken of in a variety of ways in uh, talking about various analogies that it makes of certain things. For, our, for example, uh, as we talked about last night, the king and the kingdom. It's an analogy. The church is analogous to a kingdom with uh, Christ as the king. Uh, a builder and his building is sometimes uh, referred to in that way. Another time, a foundation and the building resting on that foundation. Jesus being the foundation, one place says, uh, with the apostles and prophets, uh, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. But he rests at the bottom. He's the one that uh, holds all the rest of it up. And yet he's the head. He's the head over 
all of it. Then the vine and its branches, husband and wife, head and his body. And here the analogy is between the church and its relationship to Christ as the human body is uh, related to the human head. And so you have the head giving the orders. Whatever you do comes from the brain. Some of it's volunteer. Some of it's not volunteer. But uh, it comes from the head. I breathe because my head's still working. I walk because my head's still working. And I still, my parts are still receiving instructions from the head. Uh, so tonight, uh, as I said, he's the head of the universal church as well as head of local church. And I might add this, that when we're talking about the universal church, we're not talking about a federation of churches. What we're talking about are individuals, individual Christians who have submitted themselves to the reign of Christ. And they are the ones that make up the uh, church in the universal sense. And the church in the universal sense is not an organization, it's a relationship. You have every person who is in fellowship with God, wherever it may be, where, whatever his locality may be, he is in the church. He's in that uh, assembly, uh, that host of the saved. Uh, the universal church never assembles fiscally. It doesn't have any head uh, on earth. The only head that it has is Christ. It gives, and each Christian, as they receive those directions, and they, along with every other Christian all over the world, uh, compose the universal church. But the local church is an organization, but it also uh, has Christ as its head, and then various ones functioning within the uh, scope of the local church are uh, in subjection to him, and how they do their part in the local church is determined by what the head tells them to do and what the head wants of them and what his will is. And uh, we want to notice some ideas that are suggested by the head and body uh, analogy as the, he is the head of the body, the church. First of all, there is the ideal of, of authority, the very idea of his being as the head it puts him in the place of authority. Uh, just as you read in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, where it talks about that uh, the head of woman is man and the head of man is God, well, they're the ones who have authority over the other. And so when you talk about the head of the body, you're talking about authority over the body. Back to Ephesians, uh, we read a moment ago, put all things under his feet and gave him to be head of all things to the church. As we noticed last night, uh, that the authority of Christ extends further than just the boundaries of the spiritual kingdom. It uh, extends further than just the body uh, that's referred to as the church. It extends to the whole, the whole world. Uh, put all things under his feet in heaven and earth. Uh, it gave him authority over that. Uh, but uh, here he's talking about the spiritual uh, kingdom, or the spiritual body, uh, made up of those who have voluntarily submitted themselves to the will of Christ and have joined together to work together in order to carry out his will here on this earth.
uh, he's the head and the king at the same time. Uh, back to Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1 and verse 20, 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be hid over all things to the church. I think it's interesting there that, that he says he's put all things under his feet. I think that has reference to uh, where he said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Everything under his feet. And in addition to that, he says, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So he's, he's not all, only ruling over the world at large uh, in the sense that the wor every person in the world is, whether they know it or not, is under his authority, under his domain some way. But in addition to that, he says, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. As we illustrated last night, the little circle within the big circle. You had the big circle, the universal uh, reign of Christ over all. Little circle is reign over the church, over the uh, kingdom that had been prophesied. But he gave him to be head over all things to the church. And he became that uh, when he ascended back to the Father on high. If you notice in Acts chapter 2, the uh, Apostle Peter was preaching the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he said in Acts 2 and verse 32, after he'd uh, pointed to certain scriptures, mainly the, some in the Psalms, that pointed forward to the coming of the Messiah and to point out that Jesus was the uh, fulfillment of that uh, prophecy concerning Messiah. He says in verse 32, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being at the right hand of God exalted, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. He says he is now at the right hand of God, having received the promise of the Holy, uh, the King James says Holy Ghost. Others say the Holy Spirit. He has shed forth this which you see and hear. The promise that he received uh, of the Holy Spirit in this passage is not that when he ascended the Father on high that he received the Holy Spirit, but he received the promise of the Holy Spirit that had been given to um, us and the world, really, through David the prophet. David the prophet had promised, been inspired the Holy Spirit, that one was set on his throne uh, on high and uh, in, in sometime in the future. But anyway, he says here, uh, having received that, for David has not ascended into the heavens. Uh, and he said to himself, the Lord said to my Lord, set thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He's sitting on David's throne. He'd been promised that. He now has that. And it's the right hand of God on high. Now, this which you see in here, those events on the day of Pentecost, he says, came from that Jesus. 
that came from that uh, uh, one that had been prophesied. And so when he went back to heaven, he sent that, which you now see in here. He had promised he would send it to his apostles, and he did send it uh, on the day of Pentecost. And the, the very things that they saw and heard was evidence of the fact that Jesus had been raised and that he was a fulfillment of the Messiah and that he was uh, carrying out the responsibilities of the Messiah as, as the king by shedding forth that which they saw and heard to teach them by the Holy Spirit uh, what they needed to be told. That is the apostles like uh, Peter and others who were speaking on that occasion. But anyway, he sent the throne on high as the head of the church. Uh, and he governs, as we've already suggested, with all authority in heaven and in earth. Uh, and that he's going to occupy that position until his second coming, when at that time he will deliver the kingdom up to the Father. And as it says, uh, it be accepted, the uh, Son also himself shall be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and the 28th verse. So uh, he's going, he's head of the church, he's the king over the kingdom, and he's going to occupy that position till he delivers the kingdom up to the Father. And then uh, he says here uh, that God may be all in all, that uh, the Father and the Son all will be over that kingdom throughout the endless ages of eternity. So the idea of authority is under consideration. So if I want to do what the authority wants, then I have to humble uh, my heart and decide that whatever the head says, I'm going to do it. I'm just a part of the body. I, I'm a leg or arm or so forth. And I just have to do what the body tells me to do. And the only way I know what the body tells me to do is he tells me to do it. And the only way I know he tells me to do it is through the scriptures. And he communicates that uh, to us through the words of the apostles. And we look into that word and we, uh, uh, we talk about we need a necessary inference or we need a command or we need a, uh, an example. Brother uh, Doy Moyer was talking about this some time ago, and he says, nothing unusual about that. He said, nothing, it's not some system that somebody's got up. He said, that's just the way you communicate uh, in anything. If you want to know what somebody's thinking, that's the way they communicate to you. He, but he says, what you do, you, uh, first of all, you say it, you show it, and then you infer from what's said and shown. And that's exactly what you do when you look into the scriptures for what God would have us to do as his body and individually as Christians. But anyway, uh, it suggests the idea of authority. So that's the reason that everything that this, this congregation does, it must be by the authority of the head. I can't go off on my own. I have to do it as the head directed. But the second idea of the head of the body is the idea of unity, that the body is to be united. Can you imagine a fellow trying to get any work done if each one of his 
bodily parts, his arms, his hands, his legs or feet, feet decide, to go, decide to go off in all directions. Sometimes I think mine do that. But when they're healthy and when I was well, they didn't do that. But not much work done if this happens. They have to be coordinated by the head uh, for to be getting the thing done. If the local church gets anything done that's right, it'll have to be coordinated by the head. The head gives the authority, and it uh, each one does its part. In Ephesians uh, uh, 2.16, that he might reconcile both unto God, one body, by the cross, having slain and empty thereby, the oneness of the body. One, uh, uh, when we look at the uh, local church, we're impressed with the oneness of it, if, we've, if it's what it ought to be, and if it's functioning the way it ought to function. Uh, there's a three-way uh, unity in the one body that the uh, Ephesian letter talks about. And one is there's Jew and Gentile and God. They're united to each other. Uh, doesn't matter what your uh, racial or ethnic background may have been, you can be a part of the body. Just the uh, Gentiles or Jew but they all are reconciled to each other in the one body. And that's especially true when you look at the uh, local church. We have that idea and to have, press that uh, notion that who, everybody that makes up this local church who are in submission to Christ, that they are to uh, act as one, that they are to be united under Christ. Uh, the saved and the reconciled make up the body. It's a, it's a three-way thing. L let's look at it just for a moment. You've got here, you've got a draw a triangle, and you've got uh, the uh, God here at the top, and you had the Jew, Jew and the Gentile here. So he, in Ephesians, he tells us that uh, he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. You had the uh, all men were separated from God by sin. All right. When Jesus came on, onto the picture, uh, he pr provided the means whereby this sin can be taken away. Well, by the sin being taken away, then the Jew could be reconciled unto God, and the Gentile could be reconciled unto God. And now there was, in addition to the sin, there was another barrier here that separated the Jew from the Gentile. And that other barrier that separated the Jew from the Gentile was the law. That is the law of Moses. The law of Moses was never given to the Gentiles. So it was given to the Jews. As long as that uh, law stood, then uh, there'd be separation between the Jew and the Gentile. So Jesus came, as the Ephesians teaches us, he came to take away the sin that separated the Jew and the Gentile from God, and uh, he came to uh, take away the law, that is, that uh, 
uh, handwriting ordinances that were against us and contrary to us, taking it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So all of that taking place, now what do you have? You have a three-way fellowship. You have vertical fellowship between the Jew and the Gentile and God, and you have a horizontal fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. And all of it coming about because Jesus died on the cross. So the Jew, the Gentile, and God are united to each other. With that being so, no congregation, no local congregation of God's people has any right whatsoever to deny fellowship to anybody on the basis of ethnic background or their racial makeup because they're all in one body by the cross. Jesus took away every barrier that stood between them and fellowship. Uh, so, it, and it says there in Ephesians, he's the savior of the body. Uh, so, if they're saved, as I've already suggested, uh, if uh, they're saved in one body, in the same body, uh, then they are saved because these bearers have been taken out of the way. Uh, so if they can be saved without that uh, union, then why abolish the middle wall partition if they could be saved without that? If they could be saved uh, without uh, the sacrifice of Christ, uh, the cross of Christ, uh, they could, uh, if they could be saved without that, then Christ died in vain. So you have Christ dying in vain. You have uh, the uh, middle wall partition taken out of the way in vain. If you can be saved where you are as you are without some adjustment in your loyalty and in your fellowship. Uh, so you've got the matter of unity within the local congregation. All of that tells us that we ought to be united. And one other thing, uh, it's interesting to me, that it tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 17, and again in 7 and uh, 17, Paul says, as an apostle, they, they became the nearest thing to universal uh, officers I knew of, that uh, he is an apostle, that what he taught in one, or what he ordained in one, he ordained in all. So the same standard is to apply to every congregation of God's people. That is, the, the scripture. And they apply to uh, this congregation, and that one over yonder, and that one over yonder, but they are not be tied together by any organizational ties but they are tied together in sentiment if, if they both are teaching the things that the apostles taught. So over where Jeff is, I feel a kindred to those folks over there, and I feel a kindred to them. Some of those I used to know, most of them are, are gone now. But uh, anyway, I feel a kindred to them because I pretty much feel like that they are teaching the same thing I teach over at Kimberly and others with me to Kimberly. We've got that in common. We have a common tie 
through the authority that we submit ourselves to. But we do not have a common organization because we're independent of one another. But uh, and that's what's the idea of the seven churches of Asia. They were independent congregations of God's people. They were, by the way, they were not uh, congregations of churches of, of the Church of Christ. If that's the way it is, you've got you just well to say that's the that it, there's there's the, where they meet that they are a church of the Church of Christ. Uh, they are a congregation of God's people, and those people are made up. It's made up of people who are loyal to Christ, but the congregation is not a unit of the universal church. The unit of the uh, unit of the universal church is each individual Christian. That's the unit of the universal church, and the unit of the uh, local church is the individual Christian and the function that he is to perform. But we'll notice more about that in a minute. So. Again, the idea of the body is the idea of completeness. And Paul illustrates this uh, with the Corinthians. Uh, the, it, he being the head over the body uh, suggests that the body is a complete uh, unit within itself. Uh, the church at Corinth was divided uh, over a lot of things, really. But they were divided over spiritual gifts. Back in the early days of the church, uh, the scriptures were not writ yet written, but were being written. Uh, the revelation had not uh, been made complete. It was being re revealed. And in order to uh, help the local churches with that, uh, receiving that revelation and acting upon it, uh, the Lord ordained spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts were given by the land on the hands of the apostles. And the Corinthians uh, seems to have been fussing over spiritual gifts. That is, which was the greatest gift? Which one uh, was the most important gift? Which one uh, would, was receiving the greatest honor by having received a particular gift? And so in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about the spiritual gifts, he said that there should be no schism. Now remember, this is in a local congregation, uh, that there be no schism in the body. Uh, your later translation says no division in the body, uh, but that the members should have the same care one for another. No schism, no division, but the members have the same care one for another. And in this context, he ties uh, the person that has the um, gift to the gift that he has. And when he talks about a member there, he's not, only, he's not just talking about John Doe as a member of the church there, but John Doe, who has the gift of prophecy, who's a member of the church there. His membership, in this sense, is tied to his function that he does uh, in the congregation. Uh, and so he shows, since the body was one, uh, the folly of a divided local church, our divided body, uh, because all members of the human body are, of course, members of the same body. All uh, and same is true of the spiritual body. 
And he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For one spirit are you all baptized into one body. Now this was in the midst. Let's point this out. This was in the midst of his discussion as to how they were to uh, conduct the one body, or that is, the Corinthian church. That body which made up the Christian, uh, the Corinthian church, and how they would conduct themselves, and uh, because this passage is in the midst of it, some have concluded that he was talking about the church universal in First Corinthians 12 when he's telling them about how they would behave themselves in the body or in the church. But it does say here, for by one Spirit are you all baptized into one body. He reminds them that when they became a Christian, they became a part of the one body, the universal church. They were baptized into it. Uh, one is not baptized into the local church. One is baptized, and then he becomes a part of the local church. And where he, he's not reminding them that they had been baptized into the local church, but they had been baptized into the church universal. That's how they became Christians. But realizing that when they were baptized into one body, ought to give them the idea and show them how united they ought to be in the local church as they dealt with the various members uh, who had the various spiritual gifts. That those who had those gifts, they ought to be united because in the very nature of the case, they as Christians in that local uh, arrangement, they should be united because after all, Back when they became a part of the universal church or baptized into the one body, they weren't uh, baptized into a multiplicity of different ideas or a multiplicity of practices. And so now he says, you remember that and remember that kind of unity. Now you as members of this local church dealing with one another with these spiritual gifts, then you ought to have that same sense of unity and that uh, same idea of togetherness as you had when you were baptized into Christ in the time past. But anyway, uh, each was baptized into the universal church, and uh, uh, so it was foolish to be divided in the local church. And then in Ephesians 4, he tells us that the local body is equipped for every need. When we talk about the church today, the work of the church, we're always talking about the local church. When we talk about uh, the uh, meeting of the church. We're always talking about the local church. And so uh, here in Ephesians 4 verse 11 he says, and he gave some apostles and some uh, prophets. Now their work was that of revealing. And we know from other things the Bible teaches that their work ended when the last of the prophets were, had died and when they were gone. And so theirs was a miraculous work but there was more to it than just those. Uh, their work was that of revelation. And they, they received revelation for all uh, the uh, local churches. And it's still we have that revelation in every local church. That is the New Testament scriptures. But it's some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And then he goes on down in verse 16 from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to effectual working in the measure of every part make the increase of the body 
unto the edifying of itself in love. So he says, the whole body fitly joined together. That is the whole body that's made up of these apostles, are then apostles and prophets, but they also, the, the uh, evangelists, which was local in this case, uh, pastors or elders or overseers, they were local, and the teachers. And that whole body, these different ones with their functions, what each one supplied, they made up the, the work of the church and resulted in the edifying of itself, that local church edifying itself in love by the work that these did. Uh, the, lo the local, uh, somebody says, well, evangelist was not local. Doesn't that mean he always traveled? Not necessarily. Uh, the, um, I, when Paul wrote to, on another occasion of Timothy, and he told him to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, rebuke, re and re uh, rebuke and convince and rebuke and exhort, he says. Uh, and he goes on to point out the reason he need to do that for the time will come, they are not in the ear of sound doctrine. Those he was talking to endured sound doctrine. He was preaching to the local church then. They would not endure sound doctrine, but heaped themselves teachers having itching ears. But anyway, here you have the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. Each one of these members with it, with their function, whatever the uh, evangelists, the teachers, or the uh, uh, pastors, whatever they supplied, that which they supplied uh, went to making up uh, the whole body and by the working of each one doing his part, they increased to the whole body being edified in love. Uh, and in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, and we have many members in one body and all members not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and every member uh, one of another and goes on and gives various functions like it does here. These members were functions that pleased him. He said in church, uh, the members as it pleased him, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But God, uh, now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleased him. The apostles, as I said, had the power to lay their hands on others and they received uh, spiritual gifts. But they all were set in local churches for, for the aid of those local churches. First Corinthians 13 tells us that, that of course, those miracles have been done away. But they became members then of the local church, either by divine uh, appointment, that is, by the apostles laying on the hands of certain one and giving them various abilities, miraculous abilities, uh, till the word could be completed. And then, not only was it by divine appointment in that way, also sometimes it was by instruction. Uh, in Titus 1.5, For this cause left I in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every uh, city, as I have appointed thee. He gave uh, Titus the instructions as to appoint elders and gave the qualification for those elders. 
and those functions then were put in the church by the instruction of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, through those upon the apostles that laid their hands. And each one has a function. Each part has a function. So that's, uh, when you think about it a minute, it says that they were put in as it pleased him. Uh, the new, new members sometimes are set in by man. New functions set in by men. Uh, you see the various ministries and the various ministers and uh, on uh, the advertisement of uh, some churches. That's new functions, generally, that have been set in. Uh, they are functions of, that each of these members that have been set in had. Uh, so whether it be a miraculous function or non-miraculous, the person had the function, and the church needed that function. That's where they point out that every member is needed. Now, the church at Kimberly, where I worship uh, when I'm home, uh, I worship, they, uh, they can get along without me. And believe it or not, this congregation can probably get along without you. And if, or uh, Houston, they probably get along without JF. But I tell you what, they can't do. They can't get along without your function. That's your member is tied to your function, and in the local church. And so I'm not all that important, nor are you or anybody else personally as a person. But as one who has the function, it may the function may be nothing more than turn on the heat. But the church needs that. Maybe nothing more than unlocking the building and having things ready. The church needs that. There, you've got the deacons. You've got the elders. The church needs what they have. Now, they, as far as them as a person, they're not all that important. But for them, as far as their function goes, the church can't get along without the function. So uh, there's that interdependence though the local church is independent of all other churches in government there's that interdependence of the members of a local congregation upon the others in that each one depends on others to do their part or their share or what he says whatever joint supplies dependent upon that so whatever your uh function may be it's important not because who you are but because what you do as a part of the local church heard grandpa tyler tell a story about the talk about the importance of each member uh tell a story about going to meetings several years in a row up in a place in tennessee and there was a young man there that very fine young man had not a lot of education as most of us don't have enough but some of us have more than half a sense to use but anyway uh, the the would really the world would look at him he's kind of non-essential but he said 
he was a member of that congregation, and his job had been for years uh, to keep the building up and to have it ready for uh, assembling both during meetings and regular services. And Granville says he got there one time and the, the, for the first time, the building was shut up, wasn't a light on, wasn't anything but just a building. He was there uh, about the same time he usually always got there. Said finally about the last minute, some fellow came up and opened the door and they went in. He asked one of them about, what about this brother so-and-so? They said, well, he hadn't you heard, said he passed away not too long ago and said, we really miss him. But what they really missed was what he did. He kept the door open. He may have not had much to do otherwise, ability to do much otherwise, but his, his function <coughs> was essential. Somebody had to step in and do that function. And so remember that you as a part of this local congregation, if you're missing, somebody's got to step in and do that function. All of them, because they're all a part of the body. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head to the feet, I have need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Let that sink in. That which even seems to be more feeble, they are necessary. A body can't function without all of its parts. That is, function as it's supposed to function. Without all of its parts functioning. That's what gets us sick sometimes. All parts of our body doesn't function like it's supposed to. But when they uh, function like they're supposed to, though that member can not be done without. Somebody else may step in and do that function and become that member that does that function. But that function cannot do that. So if you begin to think, well, what I'm able to do and what I do is not really that all important. And I don't have too much of a feeling of belonging to that group. Think about it. Whatever you do, whatever thing you can do, and whatever you do as a part of this local congregation, you are part of the body that's under the headship of Christ who has something to do that's necessary to the function of the body as a whole. And so he's the head of the body, the church. In verse 16 of Ephesians 4, wants to notice this. For the whole, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Not just compacted by every joint, 
but that which every joint supplies. Well, what if a part of the body gets sick and they're not supplying what they could or should? Then the rest of them will come in and they'll try to work with that uh, one and to get him back to or get him to the point that he can again supply what needs to be supplied to the body. He may be weak, may be discouraged. Work with him. Get him back to where he can be a productive part. He'll be one of those parts or one of those joints that supplies what needs to be supplied to the local church. So each independent of the others in the relationship to Christ, but yet they're interdependent in the relationship to the church. I, as a Christian, I'm going to be judged independently. I'm, going to be, I'm not going to be judged for you and you're not going to be judged for me. That judgment and, uh, is independent of all others. Yet, though we be judged individually, we individuals will be judged by how well we supply that which we as a joint in that body is supply. If I don't do my part, my part is dependent upon my ability and my opportunity. But if I don't do my part, I'll have to answer for that. Brethren are not going to be judged for me. I'll be before God on my own. But while I'm in this body, the success and the function of this body will depend a great deal on how well and how faithful I am in doing my part. If I'm, if I'm the leg, or if I'm the foot, if I do my part, then the rest of it, uh, lets the rest of the members do their part, and they together uh, uh, make up the body, and the body then can go forward as a group of God's people doing His will here upon this earth and encouraging others to do the same. So what's your relationship to Christ as a person? Is your head... Have you decided that whatever He wants you to do, you'll do it? Wherever He wants you to go, you'll go. Whatever He tells you, the only way He'll ever tell you is through the Scriptures. To do this or that, will you do it? What's your relationship to the body, the local body of Christ over which He's head? How well are you supplying your part to the best of your ability? Or not. And if you're not, why not work on it? So that you can give your best to the Lord. And when you do that, the whole body will profit by it and will be a shining light in the community. But if it ever forgets that Christ is its head, the whole body will die spiritually. Every part of it will die spiritually. There's where the first there's a starting place. And then Remember how important it is for 
them to work together in God's wisdom to put the Christians together in a, one bundle, if you please, in the local church in order to carry out his work here upon this earth. And remember, put you in that bundle, and you're as a part of that bundle, a part of that body, and just a part of it. Yet your part enables the other parts to collectively do God's will in this community. You may be here tonight, you're not a Christian. We would love to see you become one. If you're a believer in the Christ, you're willing to repent of your sins and confess the good name of Christ, you can be baptized into Christ. And when you're baptized into Christ, you right then and there, you become a part of the church in the universal sense. The Lord adds you to the church. As to the church, those that have been saved, that means the saved are the church. And so you'll be added to it. You'll be translated into the kingdom which is your son. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. You'll, be, uh, you'll have that relationship with God. And then, as part of your obedience to the Lord, you will need to find a group of uh, Christians to meet together with and meet together and, for, and you form a local congregation or, the, or a congregation already exists and you decide to become a part of that. You go become a part of a, a congregation that's doing God's will. It's follow the head and be a part of it. Though you're as a baby in Christ, you may not yet be able to supply a whole lot, you think. But whatever you can do is needed. And it's every member, every function is necessary. And you'll be needed and you can carry out God's will and have an influence on others as you carry it out. All the while being subject to the head Christ and doing what he would have you to do in order to be a Christian. You accept the Lord's invitation, won't you come while we stand, while we sing.